following sermon audio. The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Today's teaching. Today's teaching. Today's teaching comes from FIBC Assistant Pastor. Assistant Pastor Austin Salisbury. The internet turned 25 in uh, 2014. It was roughly born in 1989, uh, was when the internet first became widely available. And, um, you know, it's become a huge part of our lives. We can't live without the internet. Uh, We need it to answer all of life's biggest questions. For example, what's the best restaurant in Shanghai? And uh, what is Angela Merkel's middle name? And what is Taylor Swift doing right now? We need the internet for these uh, questions, for these answers. And just so I can save you the time, the answer is uh, restaurant Ultraviolet. Uh, Miss Merkel's middle name is Dorothea. And right now, Taylor Swift is sleeping. So uh, if you were wondering, those are the answers to that. But incorporating the internet into our lives, um, although that's been happening more and more over the past quarter century, it's the first time in the last year or two that scientists have really been able to study the effects of the internet on our lives. And one of the things that scientists are finding is that the more we use the internet, the more connected we become, actually is having a significant impact on our emotional lives. And specifically, studies show that the internet may be making us lonelier. I'll read you this quote from uh, a doctor from the University of Chicago, uh, John Carciapo. Uh, is his name, and he is, unfortunately, I think it's kind of a sad, he's the world-recognized, worldwide leader in loneliness. He's the world's expert in loneliness. It's kind of a sad job title. Anyway, listen to this quote from Dr. Um, Kachiopa. He says, our studies show that the greater your proportion of face-to-face interactions, the less lonely you are likely to be. By contrast, the greater proportions of your online interactions the more likely you are to be lonely. So these were studies that were done over the past decade, and maybe you can relate to this. You know, maybe you have a thousand Facebook friends, hundreds of contacts in your phones, and dozens of emails to answer every day, but somehow you feel, your life feels a little bit shallow. We're more connected than ever, but maybe it's become more difficult than ever to access interaction with other people, and we miss a little bit of the meaningful human interactions that our ancestors or maybe even our parents and grandparents experienced. And maybe for you, it's even hard to understand or believe that God might want to have interaction and access to your life. That may seem too far away that he might want to dwell with you and be in your presence. Maybe you're not sure how you could ever access the love and relationship with God himself. Well, today, as we continue our sermon series, Covenant People, A Journey Through the Old Testament, we are going to look at how the God of Abraham and Adam and Noah and Isaac, um, after taking the Israelites out of Egypt, gave them the law, and then established his personal presence in the midst of the Israelites specifically through the construction of the tabernacle and the creation of the Hebrew worship service. 
and thus invited people into a more intimate relationship with himself than they had ever had before. From there, we will look briefly at uh, the parallels um, that the tabernacle had in the New Testament church through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and how God, even without using the tabernacle that he established for the Israelites, desires to dwell with each of us. Please join me as we pray together. Father, I ask that you would be with us this morning as we look closely at your word, as we um, try to put ourselves in the place of your people, the Israelites, long ago. Help us to see you um, afresh and anew, that your word would come alive for us this morning. Amen. Uh, The first thing we'll look at this morning is a brief um, review of where the Israelites had come after they left Exodus. Then I will give you a uh, quick overview of the uh, chapters uh, from Exodus 25 to 40, which Eric mentioned. It's a big chunk of scripture. I'm going to give you the Cliff's Notes version of that. Um, And then lastly, we'll look closely at this idea of tabernacle. It's kind of an unusual word, not a word we use a lot in modern English at least. Uh, But we'll look closely at this idea of tabernacle. If you've been following with us um, the past few weeks, you know that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And that God uh, commanded and and led them out uh, using a man named Moses out of Egypt. The story is well known. Um, And last week the people arrived at Sinai. And um, Eric preached about the law. The Ten Commandments, specifically, were the way that God instructed the Israelites on how they should live. This was their guide. Ten Commandments, you should be able to keep these, um, uh, was the uh, essence of uh, Moses' message to the people. Um, And Eric talked about two main points to the Ten Commandments. uh, That if you uh, boiled it all down, the essence of the Ten Commandments was to love God and love other people. And Jesus said this himself in the New Testament. He said, if you keep these two commandments, then all the other commandments fall underneath that. Um, But the Ten Commandments, the law had two main purposes. The first was to act as a guide for the Israelites. This is how you should live. Secondly, the Ten Commandments was kind of like a mirror that was being held up to the Israelites, showing them that even though they had the rule book, they didn't always play by the rules. They were in, or unable to live perfectly even though they had the law. It was a reminder to them that they needed God's help. So, um, one of the episodes in this chunk of scripture that I won't go into detail today, but you should look at is Moses is up on the mountain talking to God and God is telling him how to build the tabernacle and, and how to um, uh, carry out the worship services. And while he's up on the mountain, what are the Israelites doing? They get anxious and, 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 and they decide, well, Moses is gone and maybe God has abandoned us, so let's make a golden calf and worship it. Just a few short Um, days, maybe uh, weeks after they had received the Ten Commandments, they had already turned back to their idolatrous ways. Um, Look at that story, and I'm sure your mouth will uh, be, you will be aghast, much like God, and Moses was aghast when God said, look, they have turned aside so quickly, and Moses said, they are a stiff-necked people, which I think is Old Testament for, they're a bunch of idiots. So look at that yourself. Um, The law was also, uh, Paul said, the way by which he knew what right and wrong was. 
He said, if I didn't know that I shouldn't covet, then I wouldn't know what covetous was, and I wouldn't know I was wrong when I did it. So the law points both to what, how to live and the fact that the people needed God's help. Now, if you're taking notes today, uh, as we look at the overview of these, pa- these chapters, um, you'll note in your study guide there's a place to fill in the purpose of Exodus 25 through 40, and that's this, if you want to write it down, is to show Israel that God chooses to dwell in the center of his people. God chooses to dwell in the center of his people, never on the edges, never on the outside. The primary action of these chapters is God telling Moses how to establish uh, the life of worship. He's going to explain to Moses four basic things that the Israelites need to incorporate into their life. In order for them to have a right relationship with God, these four things have to be in place. The priesthood, which will come from the family of Aaron. A system of sacrifice, whereas perfect animals are killed as offerings to God to cover the sins of the people. Whenever uh, there is uh, sins to be covered, there must be a sacrifice. That's what God explains to Moses. Thirdly, God reminds Moses uh, several times in these passages about the value of the Sabbath. That one day per week is devoted to the Lord. And that is um, the day that they should not work. And that has two parts to it. The Sabbath was meant as a reminder to rest, but also to rely on God. You see, when I'm frantic and I'm worried that God's not going to provide for me, what do I do? I do more, I do more, I do more. And God's telling Moses, no, the Sabbath is for you to rest like I rested, and you to trust me. So we have the priesthood, the sacrifices, the Sabbath. And lastly, God instructs um, Moses to build a tabernacle. And uh, I will explain to you in a moment what the tabernacle is all about. Um, But that was the fourth element to God's instructions for the life of worship. If you want to say religion, then it's the religion, those duties that the people had to maintain a right relationship with God. We're going to look closely at the tabernacle today. Um, But before we do that, um, the essence of all of this that God instructed Moses to do was this. He said, for sinful people to ever have access to a holy God, there are ways in which to make that possible. I will dwell amongst you, but this, these are the rules. These are my demands. These are the parameters. There will be holy priests. There will be regular sacrifices to atone for sin. There will be a day of rest where you honor me, and there will be a tabernacle. So let's look at this tabernacle. It's not exactly a word that we use that much in English, like I said, um, And it is um, an interesting idea because remember that the Israelites are nomads at this point. They don't have cities. They don't have a capital. They've come from Egypt and they've been uh, traveling and they're going to continue to travel for quite a while. The tabernacle is meant to be their traveling um, temple. It's where their priests and Moses will meet with God. The word tabernacle means tent of meeting, translated. It's a place, a special tent where meeting will happen. It's the place where God and Israel's leaders will meet and worship. If uh, could Zai, if you could go to the next slide. I found this on the internet, and it's really interesting. It's helpful for me visually to see next one, Kudzai, thanks. Um, a group in Israel actually built the tabernacle to the specifications in the Old Testament. 
um, uh, just recently and allowed people to come and visit what it would have looked like. You can see that there is an outer curtain and a courtyard, and then there's the inner tent there. And these are the key elements to the architecture of the tabernacle. Kudzai, you can go to the next one. Here you can see the entrance into the holy place. That is this tent. Um, it just has one entrance. Uh, this basin in front was meant to, uh, for the clean, uh, sorry, for the priests to clean themselves, to wash their hands. Um, and then, uh, Kudzai, last one. You can see here that the priests uh, had very specific um, clothing that they were to wear. And if you read these passages, you will see all the details about um, uh, the, the, the tent itself, as well as the grounds, as well as the clothing. And God was very specific about how all of these things should work, that the, the tabernacle, every element of it had a very symbolic meaning. And I am going to just touch on the main elements of the tabernacle uh, quickly um, before we move on. There were six main things that the tabernacle included, and, and the Israelites had to build these exactly to specifications. Okay, This had to be done in a very specific way. Here were the things that um, they had to include. The tabernacle was uh, a 150 feet by 75 feet in dimension. Um, that's roughly 46 by 23 meters. It's about a fourth the size of a European football pitch, about a quarter of that size. It was portable. The walls of the court and tent uh, were made of curtains, and they could be broken down and packed to travel wherever the Israelites went. Uh, and um, here were the main elements of the design. First of all, the water basin where the priests would cleanse themselves, the single entrance, the one door by which the priests would enter the tabernacle to interact with God. Thirdly, um, inside the entrance of the courtyard, there was a table that was meant to always have bread and drink on it to symbolize that God was the provider. Um, fourth, inside the tent, there was a golden lampstand, and the golden lampstand uh, was served with a very special oil that was reserved only for that lamp in the tabernacle. Uh, there was a golden altar, fifth, that had special incense on it. And this incense was meant to rise in the tabernacle and symbolize the prayers and petitions of the people going to God. Like I said, every element of the worship center had a specific meaning. And then lastly, inside the tent was another curtain. And inside that curtain was where the Ark of the Covenant would live. Now, if you've seen Indiana Jones, you know what the Ark of the Covenant looked like. If you haven't seen it, it was a golden chest with rings that were um, held with uh, long wooden poles so it could be carried but never touched. And on top of the golden box, there were two angels whose wings touched and created a kind of seat. It was called the mercy seat. And inside the Ark of the Covenant were the um, precious items, the precious artifacts of Israel. This is where the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments would live. There's a passage in Scripture where uh, Aaron has a, a staff that bears fruit miraculously, and that would live inside the Ark of the Covenant. This was the most precious item in the whole Israelite culture, and it lived inside the Holy of Holies, the most inner part of the tent, and that is where the presence of God would sit. And only once a year was the priest allowed to go inside. That is essentially the key elements to the tabernacle. That was the plan that God 
gave to Moses. He said, make this place and I will come and I will dwell with you. Now, God knew that Moses was not an architect and he knew that Aaron was not an interior designer and he needed someone to make all of this stuff, all these intricate parts. And God had a plan for that. Listen to this from Exodus 35. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, The Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill and with intelligence and knowledge and craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for settings and in carving wood for work in every skilled crafts. So, basically, Bezalel was the man, right? Bezalel was an artist unlike any other. And God had prepared for him to take care of all these details ahead of time. Now, I went to architecture school. I don't know if if you know that, but a long time ago in another life, I studied architecture. And one thing I remember from my architecture days was our professors, every professor I ever had basically had some conversation like this with me. You can design whatever you want, but remember, somebody's got to build it. And you're going to stand face-to-face with a contractor. And the crazier your designs, the more likely you are to get laughed at. And so I kind of had this uh, imaginary uh, uh, scene in my mind where Moses comes down the mountain uh, from talking with God and getting all these uh, rules. And he comes to Bezalel and he's like, all right, Bezalel, look, you know... um, So God wants you to make um, these breastplates, and they're not just any breastplates, but they're the breastplates of righteousness, and and, and they've got, uh, I mean, the breastplates of judgment, and and they're going to have these stones, and each stone is going to have the names of the tribes of Israel carved into it, and they've got to be perfect. There can be no changing what God has already designed, and they're going to be in gold, and they've got to sit right here, not here. They're going to be right here, and, 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 and if you mess up, then there could be massive consequences, and the presence of God will not come and enter into our, uh, uh, into our tabernacle, and, 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 and that's okay, right? And I imagined uh, Bezalel going, yeah, yeah, I can do that. You see, God gifted him specifically to fulfill his purpose and his plan. He didn't send Moses on a task without providing him the means by which to carry it out. And it reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2, when Paul says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, each to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God will never ask something of you that he has not prepared beforehand for you to have the ability to do. You are made as God's workmanship. You can walk in his good works, confident in Christ. So God had a purpose, he had a plan, and he had a way to bring his plan to fruition. He chose Moses and Bezalel and Aaron together to make it happen, and they built the tabernacle. But the tabernacle of the Old Testament was only the first of three ways in which God would choose to dwell among his people, make his presence uh, in with people. The second way that God did that, we just celebrated. In the first century AD, the tabernacle, and by tabernacle I mean the way in which God connects with sinful people, took an entirely new shape the shape of a miraculous baby 
born in a stable in a little corner of the Roman Empire, and the baby's name was Jesus. You see, in John's Gospel, he describes Jesus as the living Word of God. And he writes, The Word became flesh, and the Word dwelt among us. And the Greek that John uses in this passage is, The Word became flesh and tabernacled with us. When Jesus came to earth, he came to meet with us. That was one of his purposes. As you know, another of his purposes was to become a sacrifice for us. And in that way, Jesus acted as the tabernacle, the sacrifice, and the priest of our salvation. Never thought about that. Jesus came to meet with men and women, but this time not just with priests. He came to meet with soldiers and slaves, prostitutes and fishermen, the poor, the powerless, governors, tax collectors, saints, and sinners. Christ came to make God accessible to the whole world, not just the nation of Israel. Jesus said this, I have come to seek and save the lost, that you may have life abundantly, and that you may have rest for your souls. These were just a few of the things he said. He said, I've come to be with you so that you may know my Father in heaven. But Jesus' time on earth was short. And if you remember, there's a passage where he meets with the Samaritan woman at the well. And he tells her this. He says, The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. You see, in the tabernacle, only the priest had access to the presence of God. In the time of Christ, only those who interacted with Jesus in, in, in Palestine, they had access to, to touch him and to see him with their eyes and to listen to his words. Later, his words would go out through the apostles, the disciples, the martyrs, and the early missionaries. But only a few had access to Jesus' body and his life. But after his resurrection, what he promised came true. He said this, he would send a helper, an advocate, a comforter called the Holy Spirit. And this Spirit of God would dwell inside those that love God. And when we follow the example of Jesus and we allow this Spirit to transform our minds and our hearts and our bodies, then we become mobile tabernacles. Each believer who carries the Holy Spirit inside them, no matter where they go, no matter what circumstances arise, they become like mobile tabernacles. No more veil, no more curtain, no more ceremony, no more priesthood or sacrificial lambs or bulls or drink offerings. St. Paul said it this way, we are the temple of the living God and God dwells with us and within us. This is the great mystery that God can dwell within me and change me and empower me and strengthen me and encourage me that he can help me in time of trouble, that he can give me words that I don't possess 
in and of myself. He can give me prayers that I don't even know I'm supposed to pray, that he can put these things inside me, that he can dwell in the, uh, in, within me, and I can always be in his presence. You see, the lesson we can learn from the uh, end of Exodus is this. God desires to be present with his people. Not on the periphery, but in the very center. You know, the tabernacle as the tent of meeting was the focal point of the encampment of the Israelites. If you can imagine maybe a World War I um, uh, uh, army camp where there would be the headquarters where the generals would be and then all around it the uh, lesser soldiers, the lower ranked people in tents would be spread out for kilometers and kilometers. They had so many tents. Well, the Israeli um, tents were like that as well and right in the center was a tabernacle. God desires to be in the middle of our lives. That's why God rescued the Israelites from Egypt in the first place. That's why Jesus called Lazarus from the grave. It's why he extends his hand to each of us and invites us to dwell in his presence. He wants to be the center. Remember Jesus' words, love the Lord above all else and love, the neighbor, and love your neighbor as yourself. God comes first. In closing... Um, I'd like to read you something that I uh, took out of a Bible commentary that I think sums this idea up perfectly. It says this, The presence of God within Israel's camp was the divine answer to man's need. A redeemed Israel would continue to be in need daily of God. Not just the idea of God, but the very presence of God. The tabernacle was God's way of saying, I will be there, I am available, and I am able to do all. This is, of course, the great message for God, of God for us today. We, too, continually need God's presence. Just like the Israelites, we fall and fail often. Even when we know what's right, even when we have the Ten Commandments memorized, we need help. The first moment of salvation is just the beginning of a long process of transformation. For our daily walk along that way, in that journey, there is only one possible source of help. God, not on the outside, but present within us. Just as King David longed for the presence of the Lord when he wrote these words, so too we will only find ultimate fulfillment when we are in the presence of God. Hear these words from the Psalms. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Only the Lord in our presence can meet our every need. Pray with me. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.vk or facebook.com forward slash FIBCCPH. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.